of Now Hear This Entertainment. This is a podcast for fans of the guests who appear in this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated, which provides management, publicity, and related services. If I can help you with your music career, whether that's becoming a client or just simply a private one-on-one online video consultation, by all means, let me know. I have been doing so for artists across the U.S. since 2004 and would love to help you as well. Get in touch through the email address podcast at nhte.net, which is also where you can write to with comments about the show. I'm always eager to hear from listeners with any feedback that you have. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Fort Wayne, Indiana, My guest toured as the lead guitarist for the legendary Oak Ridge Boys for 23 years while maintaining a busy recording schedule in Nashville. He has made hundreds of TV appearances, played thousands of live performances nationally and abroad, including three performances at the White House, and has shared the stage with everyone from Lou Rawls and James Brown to Merle Haggard and Tim McGraw. He currently works at Sweetwater as the guitarist for the recording studio and also creates written and video content for their website and social media channels. You've been hearing an original composition that he did for their YouTube channel. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Don Carr. Hey, thanks, Bruce. Yeah, you bet, Don. Thank you. Looking forward to this. Before we start diving into the many facets of your career in music, talk about the track that was just playing during the intro. Okay, well, that's really interesting because that was um, for a product demonstration. So, again, you were talking about some of the things that I do. One of the things that I do is product demonstrations online on our social media channels here at Sweetwater because Sweetwater is a retailer, a music instrument retailer, and uh, largely we're online. So... I basically do demos so you can't because it's not a music store where you can walk in and try stuff out. <laughs> I mean, we have a music store, but it's small by comparison to the amount of sales that we do overall. So back to the song, the song was specifically for a brand new line of guitars that came out. And um, I took the guitars into my office and kind of like messed around with them and thought, okay, well, what's the inspiration? What am I feeling here? And wrote a song just from having those guitars in the office. Mm. So, so I wrote and recorded all the parts, and including like bass and drums. And then I also did uh, um, all of the mixing and mastering and all that. So completely soup to nuts for me, self-contained. So that's the history of that song. That is really different. That's really different. So I'm wondering, as a result, how easy or how difficult was it? Because you, for all intents and purposes, had 100% creative license to do what you wanted, like you explained, whatever the guitars made you feel. And so was it, I just sat there and kind of waited for something to come to me or describe that process, because that's really different from what we're used to hearing about with traditional songwriting. Right, right. This is um, this is with a purpose, right? Because I realized, okay, I've got to speak to kind of a wide audience here musically, um, because you know, 
there's there's buyers from all walks of life looking at this thing mm. and it's like okay well what's going to you know what's going to appeal to a wide range of people and also as you're playing the guitar you kind of go <sighs> guitars are are unique instruments <laughs> on so many levels but as you're as you're playing the guitar you you kind of go what does this thing do what is it what does it say when you're playing it i mean i know that sounds a little esoteric but it's really it, it's really the truth <laughs> and certain things happen and maybe you dial in a sound on with the amp and with the effects and stuff and kind of go oh yeah this is sort of interesting you know this this is this is a direction and then sort of one thing leads to leads to the next and you just sort of follow the muse at that point but but once you have a once you have a starting point or for me anyway I should say once I have a starting point then I can take off and then then the, then the options are wide open well and you know that conjures up for me thoughts of there's someone here in my area here in Tampa Bay who we would get together regularly and we would play together and and he would use the expression you know that our guitars were talking to each other as we were playing but in your case you're thinking of something much, much, much larger than that because you are having to put on the hat of a Sweetwater representative and say, wait a minute, this company needs to make sure that people from various genres are going to be interested in buying this guitar, and yet I can't write a song (laughs) to demonstrate, to do this product demonstration that's going to encapsulate a dozen different genres in it. So to me... From where I sit, I think you had a great challenge on your hands there in terms of what am I going to do with this? Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. I, you know, it, it's a good way of putting it, but in in a funny way, it almost has the opposite effect because it eliminates so many things. You know, it really does because I I I look at music fairly holistically, especially stylistic, genre wise, or even. Um, uh, you know, era wise, decade wise. And so it, it's all, you know, it's all sort of available, right? Musically at any given time. So that can be option overload. And so when all of a sudden somebody says, do this, do this, do this, do this, it's more like an assignment. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, well, I can just, you know, yeah, I, I know what I can't do. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, it, it does kind of narrow it down a little bit. This is fascinating stuff. We're off to a great start. I hope y'all are sticking with me and Don through all of this. We are living in such a short attention span society, probably now more than ever. It doesn't take much for someone to shift away from your content to someone else's. And one of the reasons for that, for all of you who are creating audio, is the sound quality that you're giving to your fans, your audience. I take tremendous pride in delivering pro sound on every episode of Now Hear This Entertainment, which is why you've been hearing me talk over the last couple months about the unit that I switched to that is made by a company called Centrance, like the word entrance with a C at the beginning. This particular unit, and there's one just like it for those of you doing music, that one is called the Mixer Face. I'm looking at it, obviously, right here in front of me as I'm talking. It's an audio interface, but it doubles as a handheld portable recording device, which means that when I'm on the road, I can still capture audio directly into it while still getting terrific sound. That's in large part due to the professional quality preamps. And by the way, it has phantom power, so dynamic or condenser mics can be used. But at the same time, you'll love that the mixer face has combi jacks, quarter inch and XLR, so you can switch between microphone and instrument, both with input one and input two. 
this is an important investment, but you're not going to have to rebuy it. You buy this once and you don't buy another one. Here's how to get started. On my show website, nhte.net, there is a mixer face ad in the right-hand column on desktop or on mobile. Scroll way down to find it. Click or tap that ad to buy direct from Centrance, and they will not only give free U.S. shipping, but when you put in the code BRUCE, you'll get a free watertight accessory case to carry the mixer face in. Don, let's go back to the beginning because you are actually from a small, isolated town. So how did you manage to get started in the music and entertainment business? Yeah, I am. I'm from uh, Henderson, Kentucky. It's in western Kentucky. It's on the Ohio River. It's about uh, 30,000 people. And, Mm. um, you know, imagine, like I was growing up there in the 70s and early 80s, right? So um, imagine, you know... It was television and that and newspapers and magazines and that's that was pretty much what we had movies and you know that was our that was our view of the outside world yeah you know unless you got in a car and drove I mean that was you <laughs> know hopped on an airplane that was that was pretty much it so um, yeah we were we were very isolated and and it's funny because growing up it would always felt like everybody that was in the entertainment business is like they were they, it was almost like they were inside the TV you know it's mm. like they were in the box right. And and it felt so distant and so far away. You just didn't know how to crack that barrier. Um, I was I was really lucky with quite a few things actually. Um, first and foremost, my parents are super supportive. Um, they didn't really know anything about music, but it didn't really matter. They saw that I had a love for what I was doing, and they were completely behind me and helped me all along the way. So I just can't say enough about how great that was. Um, and, and the other thing that was, uh, kind of really interesting and it wasn't until I looked back as I got older, I realized how important this was, but there, uh, there was a promoter, um, a local concert promoter that brought in acts into Evansville, Indiana, which is right across the river from us. So it was like 10 minutes away. No, mm. not a, you know, not even a commute, mm-hmm. you know, just neighbor town. Um, and there was a sports arena there that could hold 10,000 people. And so any concert that was passing through, especially if like on their way to even Louisville or Lexington or Columbus, Ohio, and if they were coming from St. Louis or Kansas City or even south, you know, north from Chicago or up from Atlanta or whatever, mm-hmm. Nashville, if they were coming any of those directions, Evansville was kind of right in the path. And so they picked up a lot of routing dates for these bigger artists, uh. right? You know, so, you know, I got to see a lot of my heroes, um, my, you know, early rock and roll heroes on like Wednesdays and Thursday nights because mm. they were on their way to the bigger city and they were going to stop over and play in Evansville. And it was just, it was brilliant and, you know, perfect, perfect timing for me. And that was in the days when concerts were were really cheap. I think I saw everybody for five or 10 bucks or 15 bucks. Maybe mm. it was the most I, I paid. So even though, you know, just, you know, kind of from, from a modest upbringing, I mean, I had, you know, that wasn't out of the question, you know, yeah. financially. So, so yeah, so all those things kind of fit together. And then on top of that, I had a, a really good group of friends. We were all musicians, um, kind of small, but it didn't really matter. We were, you know, we were on the same level and on the same plane and we were working towards the same things. And out of that formed a couple of bands and one band in particular, um, we, uh, entered a, 
a contest that a local radio station had sponsored that was part of a national contest. And so on, on the local level, you record a song that you wrote and submit it, and they would put that song on an album, hmm. you know, whoever whoever the top 10 were, right? They put those 10 songs on an album, mm-hmm. and then whoever bought the album, there was like a, you know, three by five card in there, and you checked who your favorite song was, and you uh. mailed it in, right? <laughs> and we won. Wow. My band, Troubadour, won, and we were here, we were in high school. Wow. You know? And so, for us, that was like an instant light bulb moment, like, wait a minute, we can actually do this. Mm. You know, we're, I mean, at, at, you know, at first we thought as a group, but then we realized we all kind of had divergent interests and, you know, which is totally fine. So it didn't really matter that we couldn't continue as a band necessarily. But the point was that it opened the door for us and it showed us that it is completely possible. You know, the world is available. Yeah, that's great. That's great because, as you said, being from a small, isolated town, and now all of a sudden this opportunity opens up and you say, we can do this after all, or at least individually, I can do this after all. Now, as the audience can gather from the intro at the start of this episode, you've really worn a lot of hats. Sideman, studio guitarist, content provider, educator, artist. I have said over and over and over on this show and in the weekly blog that I publish on the website how so, so many people in the music business are not just doing one thing. And I say that not only is it okay to not just do one thing, but that it's important to be diverse and be able to do more than just one thing. Don, I would love for you to talk about the importance of education, continuing to learn, refining your skills, expanding your skills. Happy to talk about that because it is an ongoing process. Not only do you want to continue to get better at your, like for me, guitar, my primary instrument, that is the uh, primary vehicle for me that spawns everything else. So I'm I'm still always working on that. Mm. I mean, I've been playing, oh my gosh, I don't even want to say how many years, <laughs> a long time. I've been playing a lifetime. And, you know, there's always more to learn. There's always a new way to look at something. There's always some new piece of information you can digest and and work into what you do. So just on that level, you can, you know, it's infinite. Music is infinite. And then if you start thinking about, uh, you know, if you want to learn another instrument or singing or um, get a, uh, um, you know, get into the audio side of things in terms of, uh, you know, a lot of people are kind of. Uh, you know, amateur recorders, but to really kind of, you know, take the deep dive and go, okay, what does it take to make something that goes from beyond a, you know, a demo tape to something that sounds professional? You know, what is, what's the difference there? You know, not only knowing the tools, but having the, having the knowledge and the skill set and the understanding of how all those tools work, that's, that's ultimately even more important than the particular tools themselves. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, so to be able to do that and songwriting, oh my gosh, songwriting is, you know, another huge one. In, but any of those paths you want to go down and then, you know, obviously now music and video are so tied together, you know, anything on the video side in terms of like being, you know, just learning how to use video software or just learn, just, I mean, gosh, learn how to be good in front of a camera even. Mm. I mean, that's, if you're going to do anything in the music business, it's really important to know how to be good in front of a camera. Well, and everything that you're talking about makes one so much more valuable, but it also 
opens up so many opportunities, which is the opposite of, and here's a guy, folks, that you just heard say he's been playing guitar his whole life, and yet he's still trying to refine his guitar skills and learn more about what can be done, even though he's been doing it forever. And so if you go back to the success that Troubadour had as a young high school band, it would be very easy to say, okay, I got this. Like, I'm going to stay in my lane here and I'm going to be a guitar player for the rest of my life. And maybe you are, but isn't there so much more out there that why wouldn't you also learn bass or why wouldn't you also learn how to sing or why wouldn't you also learn how to songwrite? And then why wouldn't you learn how to record this music that you're performing? So the fact, Don, that you had the vision to see all that, even though you could have said, hey, this is going to be a thing, like Troubadour is doing good and I can just be a musician now. You decided, no, I'm going to be more than, quote unquote, just a musician. Absolutely. And, you know, it was getting through college and the other side of college and looking into what I was doing in the music business in Nashville and just trying to make a living. And I realized, wow, man, it is important to, and you got to have a calling card, right? You know, like for me, it was always like, yeah, I got guitar and I always play guitar and that's the thing I'm sort of known for. Um, but man, it's really important just to have as many skills as possible. If you're, especially if you're an artist, especially in the beginning, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it'll serve you so well. And then you can control the, you know, you can obviously control the, the content at that point. And then when you, when you do start to bring other people into the fold, whether it's a manager, you know, or other creators that are, that are working with you, you've already got a template and you already know what you want. And you can already say, Hey, here's how, here's the way I do things. And that's easy. You know, that's easier for them to follow into, but it also opens up other you know, employment opportunities. And it also opens up other creative opportunities. You may get to work with somebody because of this particular skill set you have that you wouldn't get to work with them in another scenario. And then all of a sudden they find out you're a songwriter and it's like, oh, cool. We I should write that. together. And then, I love you know, that. right. Yeah, and yeah. you're off and running. Well, and, you know, knowledge is power, right? And, you know, I'm thinking back to just a few weeks ago when Drew Smith was on the show and he talked about the fact that when you're just starting out, you don't know all the lingo. And all of a sudden you go into a recording studio and it's like he was saying, it's like people are speaking in another language. So all of a sudden you get yourself educated in all that. And now you can keep up with the conversation. You can contribute to it and people can see that you know your stuff. And it might just be that it's a much more seamless process. It might be, Don, what you just said, that all of a sudden you're keeping in step with everyone else and something comes up about something that you weren't even there for. And they say, Oh, well, I didn't know you, you know how to do that. Let's have, let's have you do that for us or let's work that into the project. Uh, I want to move on here because one of the many, many artists that you performed with is Marie Osmond. And I would love for you to share the story of how that came to be, because I think this is going to be another example of seizing opportunities. Speaking of what we were just talking about. And I'm talking about no matter how small, the opportunities might seem. Yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting story, actually. So I was working uh, with a country artist named Earl Thomas Conley, who was kind of, uh, he had his moment and, you know, was was big in country music for a short period of time, had a bunch of hit records, um, but still, you know, not, not a giant breakthrough artist. Mm -hmm. um, and I had... Uh, 
I had some friends who knew someone uh, that worked with Marie Osmond. So the interesting thing is who those friends were. So this is like 1989, 1990. Okay. So Delta Airlines apparently used to do something uh, for... Um, for people from out of the country that was like the equivalent of the European rail pass where you could fly standby all over the country for one flat rate. Well, and why this is important is because there were two girls that were from England that were huge country music fans. And of course there weren't a, a lot of opportunity to see American country music in England. So mm. for them, they would come and fly all summer long and go to catch all of the country artists at fairs and festivals uh-huh. and all the sorts of things that country music artists do all summer long. So it's, you know, you can go wherever and watch whoever. And they were always flying standby. Mm-hmm. So they would just go to wherever somebody was and just get there and hear the show. And I mean, it, and it was really unique because they were, again, they, you know, they'd come from a long way and they were fans and they were really into it. So they'd always be in the autograph line. That was mm. another thing that was a big deal with country music is, you know, signing autographs after the show. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, of course, when you hear, when you're in like Georgia, you know, and you hear a British accent, the first thing you're <laughs> like, what? Wait a minute. What? <laughs> who, who are you and what's going on here? <laughs> and so they obviously, you know, befriended all of these artists because it was like, what an anomaly. And, it, you know, for the artists too, I'm sure it's like, man, people are coming from England to hear me. This is yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. You know, so they, you know, of course, heard me playing guitar and said, wow, you're a really good guitar player. Um, we know somebody with Marie Osmond, and they're actually looking for a guitar player. Would you like <laughs> me to, would you like us to make that connection for you? Wow. Which is crazy because it's like they literally connected me with the band leader for Marie Osmond's mm. band. And that's how I got the audition and got them. I mean, I had to show up and, you know, be good enough. But, yeah. you know, point is opportunity. Wow. And yeah, who, from, who, how could you see that one coming, right? Yeah, from two girls who were, quote unquote, just fans from England. Yeah. Crazy. And for the audience, you know, that's, my gosh, that's so unique. But you're, as an artist, you're always making nice connections with the fans just in terms of, hey, this is who's supporting me and this is who I'm doing this music for. But that is a whole nother level of, you know, don't just stop there. These fans might end up doing more for you than you're giving them credit for and it does go to the whole you never know who might be in the room kind of thing not that don would take a night off but obviously they could see how skilled he was and so that has to be there in order for them to say hey you know marie osmond their band leader said that they're looking for a guitar player we'll we'll put your name in if you want so my gosh fantastic and and on a similar note don since you just shared how you got the gig with her, I'd love to hear an Oak Ridge Boys story, specifically your audition for them. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so that was sort of the next step because, oddly mm. enough, um, Marie Osmond did a string of shows where we opened for the Oak Ridge Boys. Ah. And and their their guitar player was, was leaving um, at the end of that tour. Wow. So... They were going to have auditions, and you know it was uh, it, they, it, you know, it it seemed like a it seemed like a real easy fit. I got in on the auditions. However, what I didn't really know was that until after the fact was that they had already had another guitar player 
sort of in mind, wow. you know, for what they, for, for who they, what, who they were going to pick. Wow. And, and, and frankly, he did get the gig because they had all but promised him the gig. But again, they, they wanted to go through, they felt like they wanted to go through the audition process, you know, just, you know, just as a, as a backlog, as a, you know, as a, let's hear some other players, let's see what's going on, who's mm-hmm. out there. Right. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I was, I was the, I was the last audition on the last day and it was a classic oh, Nashville cattle call. So yeah. there were, you know, I think they auditioned 50 guitar players and I was number 50 mm. and, and I walked in and, and, uh, they really, I mean, they had met me. They'd seen that I'd played with Marie, and you know, but they they just didn't know anything about me or my playing. They'd just seen me. I was a guy in the opening act, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so uh, I walked in. I'll never forget. I walked in and played, and we just the first thing was just like, let's just play blues. Let's let's just jam and play a blues. And we got we got to the end of the jam, and I'll never forget, man. The drummer he just kind of laughed. He sat back in his chair, laughed, and he actually threw his sticks up in the air, and he went. Well, now what are we going to do? <laughs> which which meant they really liked my plan, but they had promised the job. To, well, long story longer, the 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 guy who got the job was a friend of mine. So I, you know, I, I completely understood, and it was absolutely fine. And um, and then, but uh, you know, I, I, a short time later, he actually left the band, went on to another opportunity, and of course, uh. first thing they did was call me. I see. Okay. Okay. Wow. Wow. How about that? Yeah. Oh, very, very cool. Very cool. And gosh, I'm already noticing similarities for the audience. If you heard my interview two weeks ago with Jonathan Cummings, who plays with Don in the Mercury show that we talked about two weeks ago with Terry Barber, who had been on this show about a year and a half ago or a little bit more than that. Jonathan said two weeks ago about how he got to a point where he kind of thought like, hey, I could do this for a living. Like I could actually be a musician. And you heard Don say the same thing. And now this thing about being the last one in in the audition. And and if you didn't hear it, folks, go back two weeks ago and listen to that interview with Jonathan. He told a really neat story about a contest that he was in and how he was slotted to be second to last, and he knew the person that was going to be last and thought that person was going to be better than him, and so that guy's probably going to win. I don't want to give it away, but amazing similarities already, and we're only halfway through this episode with with Don Carr. This is going to be cool. I'm I'm really excited to ask you this, Don. You say, I can't wait to hear this answer in the story, you say that you can trace the origin of all your work in Nashville to one person. How so? Absolutely. How so? Absolutely. Okay, so this friend of mine, we went to, we actually went to Belmont College together. It was Belmont College back then. Oh man, I'm really dating myself. Good grief. <laughs> um, you know. Anyway, um, but but we went to uh, we went to Belmont together, and he was a bass player, and we just kind of you know just clicked and hit it off as friends, and then he he liked my playing, and he was a guy that was already. Uh, even though he was still in college, he was already getting established, you know, in the, you know, in the working scene. And he introduced me to, oh my gosh, uh, I mean, literally, uh, 
a handful of people that at the time I had no idea were going to be the ones who, you know, like said, okay, here, now this is going to connect you to this gig and this one's going to connect you to this mm. gig. And this, and, you know, it's all little steps and little increments, but, uh, yeah, my friend Jay Michaels, he was the, um, he actually lives in LA now, but he was the, he was the first one that he, I can trace everything back to him. Wow. And, it, and there were just a handful of introductions and it was really because he's a nice guy. We hit it off. He's a good bass player. And he liked my guitar playing and said, man, you need to, you know, you need to meet this guy, you know, you need to meet this guy. And, and all those people were like, Hey, you need to audition for this group and you need to audition for that group. And it was always, you know, it was always the next step. Well, and that's, again, I'm reading between the lines, but I'm also kind of trying to find something else from the Jonathan Cummings interview, which is, and this actually goes way, way back when I had Amy keys on the show. For those of you that don't know, Amy, an amazing career, but most notably, she has sung backup for Phil Collins for many years. And, and the recurring theme from her to Jonathan to now Don is, yes, certainly, by all means, you have to be good at, in the case of Don Carr, a guitar player. But just being a good person or an Amy Keys word, being a good hang, you know, you can get in the studio and be a good guitar player. But if people say, yeah, but the guy's a jerk, though, then people like the fellow that Don is referring to are not going to be anxious to connect you to a whole lot of different people. And it sounds like that's the case, Don, that the two of you knew each other from college. So it was really probably just as much the personal connection as it was what you did on guitar and what he did on bass. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent. I mean, um, you know, one of the things about when you think about auditioning for a road gig, especially now, you know, it's one thing to work with somebody, on, you know, on a recording session for a couple hours in the studio and you're wearing headphones and, you know, everybody's fairly isolated and you got to communicate a little bit, but it's not, you know, you don't really have to hang out with them. But if you're on the road with them, you're sharing your life together. And if you're traveling city to city to city, you're on stage for two hours, sometimes three, maybe four, if you got a long sound check or whatever. And the other 20 hours of the day, you're hanging out. Mm. So um, you got to be a good hang. That's really important. And, and the other side of that too, is, uh, no one is going to want to, um, raise the flag, you know, with your name on it, if you're not a good person or if you're not a good hang, because it's their reputation at that point. It's like, mm. yeah, you're the one that introduced me to that jerk that didn't work out for our group or whatever. Wow. So yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's equally important all the way around. So, and you know, I, boy, on so many facets of the business, you see it, no matter what trajectory your business takes, you see a lot of the same people on the way up and a lot of the same people on the way down. So, Mm. you know, always be, always good to be good to people for a bunch of reasons, but I want to point out for the audience, I never assume that all of you have been listening to the show for the almost eight years that it's been around now. So, I do want to put out there, if you don't know this, when I refer to past episodes of the show, I do always put a link to that episode on the show page for the episode that you're listening to. So for Don Carr's episode, I'm going to put links on that page so you can go back and listen to my conversation with Jonathan Cummings. You can go back and listen to my conversation with Terry Barber. You can go back and listen to that interview that I mentioned with Amy Keys. In the meantime, I want to reset this one. I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Fort Wayne, 
Indiana by guitar player, content creator, and educator Don Carr. He is on Facebook and Instagram, and we will also be talking about a group that he's in called the Daily Driver Band, which you can find on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. You can also see a lot of the work that Don does that I mentioned back in the intro on Sweetwater.com and their various social media channels. Meanwhile, if you have been listening regularly, thank you, and you have heard me talking for quite some time now about my online class at interviewtipscourse.com. So the question at this point is, have you gotten into it yet? And if not, what's holding you back? The new year is underway, and we all want better and more results with whatever we're doing, getting more bookings, selling more music, seeing an increase in book sales, attracting new clients, getting more new opportunities. And a great vehicle for getting there is by doing interviews on, say, radio, TV, podcasts, and having success from being a guest on those. My course will give you close to 30 tips so that you nail these interviews and start seeing results for your business, your product, or your service. Plus, I also have a module in there with 15 sources you can utilize to try to find more interviews. This is on demand. Go at your own pace. Don't wait any longer. Go to interviewtipscourse.com now and get started. Don, you mentioned before about auditioning for the Oak Ridge Boys, but there's something you did with them that I would love to have you go into a little bit because I think there's a potential teaching moment in that while you backed up and worked with a lot of performers when you were working on the Oak Ridge Boys TV show, we're talking about names like Tim McGraw, Merle Haggard, Little Richard, Sarah Evans, Jody Messina, you had to do it all in a short filming schedule. Right. Yeah, this uh, the entire show, <clears throat> it actually ran for five seasons, but it was it was reruns. It was one really long season. We did, tw- I, I, I want to say, 23, 24 episodes. Um, we did it all in like two and a half weeks. Mm. Um, so it was really, really, really tight. Uh, I, I remember... One thing I remember specifically, we were, we were just camped out in Las Vegas at the Hilton, and we shot it on one of the stages there. And, but I just remember specifically, like going to going to rehearsal at eight a.m. That was that was eight a.m. was our call time mm-hmm. for um, for rehearsal. And if we were backing up an artist, which we backed up somebody on every episode, at least one person on every episode, plus okay. did all the Oak Ridge Boys stuff too. But okay. but um, we backed up at least one artist on every episode. And so that was, you know, we'd get there at 8 a.m. And, and that was everything. That was our music rehearsal. That was the shot blocking for the cameras. And that was audio and mm. and everything. And we, we had to knock that out really fast. We had wow. like 45 minutes or an hour. We'd learn two or three songs and just, you know, it's like one, two, three, here we go. Wow. Wow. And I think what I'm picking up on there is the importance of bringing your A game every time because it could get very exhausting. It could get kind of, it all just kind of blends together. But when Tim McGraw comes on stage, he expects the performers behind him to be bringing their A game. When Merle Haggard comes on stage, he expects the performers behind him to be bringing their A game. When Little Richard, and you see the pattern here, so you can't just mail it in on one of them or say, hey, you got to give me a break. It's been a long few days. Absolutely not. Oh, no. I mean, when it's when it's on, it's game on for sure. And that was a really tight schedule um, because, again, we'd have to do stuff with the Oak Ridge Boys, and we do stuff with other artists, and then you know there was and, and the uh, 
the the scheduling was pretty brilliant actually the way they managed to get everything in there and get everybody you know on you know in and out schedule wise it, just even in and out because it was all from Las Vegas so and not all those people were necessarily in Las Vegas obviously mm-hmm. so um, all the scheduling was really tight and we really had to uh, run as close to that as we could and we also had to be flexible because something would inevitably go wrong of course mm-hmm. it does you know so uh, yeah and it's just all about keeping your composure and keeping your head on straight and just being a pro. Well, this brings up an interesting point because on a related note, can you talk about playing in the studio versus playing live? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So playing, you know, a lot of people have the, uh, you know, have the experience of playing live, right? Because you're, you're in front of an audience and you're with your entire band or your entire group or setup or whatever it is. And there's an instant like interaction. You're interacting with the audience. They're feeding back to you. Um, you're performing. There's an energy there. It's communication that's, that's instantaneous. And that, that, you know, that feeds you. And also, there's a little sort of like it in the moment looseness, you know, that that you have. And the more comfortable you feel, the more that the more that flows. Now, the other side of that is that it's continual, so you kind of have to like shut everything off and just get, you know, get in that zone, if you will, for you know, for a period of time. Playing in the studio can have some of those aspects, but it's completely different. First of all, there's not the same visceral, you know, physical feeling of, you know, a stage and a PA and and all that sort of stuff. And of course, there's no audience. And the other thing is, most of the time in the studio, when you're performing in the studio, in fact, I'd venture to say almost always, you're listening through headphones. And, and I mean, unless you're, you know, using in-ear monitors on stage, you're not used to hearing yourself that close. You're used Mm. to hearing the sound ambiently. And so hearing the sound in the headphones is completely, I mean, it can be disorienting if you're not used to it. That's a lot of first timers in the studio have a real problem with headphones, especially singers, because you're used to hearing the sound in your head and the sound of your voice in the room coming back into your ears. It's completely different. So just sonically, and just performance-wise and headspace, all that's completely different. And then also, when you get in the studio, you really can hear and notice every last little detail about about your playing, about your note choice, about your technique, about w- what you're playing and how it fits in with the rest of the group, um, your your specific sound, whatever that might be. And then a lot of times when you're in the studio, it's it's very purposeful. You know, if you're recording your own original song, it's one thing because you can say, hey, here's the way I do it, and this is the way it is, and this is what it's going to be. It is what it is. But if you're working in any other scenario, like if you're working for a client of any sort, whether it's another artist or, mm. you know, or a producer or whatever, they're going to have specific ideas about what they want, and that <laughs> really changes everything. <laughs> I love this answer. I, I, I love everything that you're saying because, audience, I know that when I asked that question, you went, duh, Bruce. Like the difference between playing in the studio versus playing live, like, and I think the tendency is all people think of is just well, playing live. You know, you're just on stage for a couple hours, and the whole sh- show straight through 
without stopping. Whereas in the studio, you can stop and restart and you can fix mistakes. And then, and it's like, yeah, that's like the, one of the many things on the list. So I love Don, how insightful all of that was that you just shared, because there's so many things that especially the first timers don't think about, even if it is quote unquote, as simple as headphones that they're not used to performing with. Oh man, the headphone thing. I've seen that throw a lot of people, especially, um, especially artists coming in to work in the studio. Um, you know, that's one of the things I do here at Sweetwater is I work in the studio, but I've, you know, worked in studios in Nashville, you know, my entire career. And, and I've seen, I've just seen so many first timers, they get the headphones on and they're like, wow, I didn't know I sounded like this. This Mm. is really strange. I don't know, you know? And, And so you're, you're, you're learning with them and helping them learn, you know, that's a, that's another thing. If, if you're, if you're the experienced one and you've got somebody that's new, you know, and you know, you have to work with them, you have to figure out that working relationship. It's really important. Yeah. And the other thing, and mind you, we could go on and on with this, but we have to move on. But I just want to make one more point off of what you just said, which is that, and it goes back to what we talked about earlier, when you talked about the importance of education and refining your skills, the more knowledgeable you are, then the more efficient you'll be with your time. Because if you go in there and it's all new to you and you're really lost and you just think, oh, that's okay, we'll just redo it. And I just, if I'm not in the mood, we'll just wait until I am in the mood. Well, that's, the meter's going to be running and it's all going to add up to studio time and or they're going to say, well, your block of time is over with. So come back tomorrow at 12 noon and you're going to go, wait a minute, I was just starting to feel it. Well, you should have come more prepared. So it's even learning about how to show up prepared, never mind once you get inside. Yeah, that's really, really important and a really good point. And the other thing is, like, if you're waiting, waiting for the muse to strike you, even to, you know, to carry this out a little farther, if you're waiting for the muse to strike you to write a song, man, you've got to get in. You just got to, you know, just pencil to paper or, you know, hand on the instrument or whatever it is that works for you to write a song. But you just have got to do it. You know, you can't you can't wait around for everything for the for all those Everything, all the stars align up and for it to be perfect. It ain't going to happen. No doubt. No doubt. Similar to what we're talking about here, share with the audience, particularly those who are aspiring performers, about the difference between being an artist and a sideman. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a big one. Um, it's uh, it's really interesting. There, the, for a sideman, it's almost a... It, it's a straighter path almost for a sideman because you're there is a there's a particular skill set that you need to refine and be you know really really good at but you have to sharpen it you know you have to really have to sharpen it especially if you want to be competitive as a sideman because there's any number of people out there you know as in terms of ability and talent and what somebody thinks is good, especially an artist or whatever, all that's really subjective. You know, they can say, oh, this guy's really good. And you may think, eh, he's not so great. But some, you know, the the person that's doing the hiring likes them. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, likes what they do. So that, you know, you have to sharpen your skill set and be as knowledgeable as you possibly can about as as many things as you can learn about what it is you're doing. But it is a narrower path. Like for me, take the example of guitar playing and I knew I was in Nashville. So it's like, yeah, I need to learn a lot about country music. I need to learn a lot about, uh, you know, about how parts fit together in a song. And, mm. you know, I need to learn about, you know, but also, you know, back to the hang thing and all that and knowing, knowing how to work with artists. That's another thing, knowing how to work with artists because 
every artist is different. Um, some some people are knowledgeable and some people are very esoteric. Some people, uh, you know, have have exact terminology, know exactly what they want, and some people they don't. They don't know it until they hear it, and then they go, "Yeah, that's it." And so it's having that, you know, developing that ability to communicate, and it's got to it's got to happen quickly because when you're when there's any sort of inspiration or any sort of work going on you don't want to lose that spark by having communication breakdown Mm -hmm. you know so so that that's really that that part of it's really important as a sideman and as an artist it's a whole different set of burdens because you've got everything on your plate i mean if you're the artist you are you're sure you get to decide what the content is and you get to decide how the music sounds and what we look like and what we do or whatever but you've got to convince the rest of the world <laughs> one person at a time you know that that what you're doing is great and worthy and you you've got to keep your head in the game through all of the changes i mean your career is going to take all kinds of ups and downs and it's going to it, it's going to take a long time to get off the ground and it may happen in a way you'd never expect and you've just got to stay in it and you've got to and again you've got to continue to work on your craft you know, and if you're an artist, it's more about the content and the material and the songs and the, you know, that sort of thing. And if you're a singer, like your voice or whatever. But if you're an artist, you know, you that you've got that responsibility. Well, and for some reason, the image that I'm getting in my head is if you are the running backs coach for I'm going to say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, because that's my team. You're in a position of responsibility. You're overseeing that position, and it's a very important position within the offense. But if you're the head coach, you're overseeing the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, the running backs coach, the special teams coach, all these people. And so it does all fall. But if the running back coach doesn't do his job, just like you're saying about you still have to be there to be that good guitar player that that the artist is counting on. I I did a a hatchet job on this two weeks ago when I was talking to Jonathan Cummings, but I was referring to an interview that I did last month with Chad Jeffers on episode 409. He's the guitar player for Carrie Underwood. And this time I came prepared for class. I've got the quote in front of me on that episode. He said, as a professional musician, you are in the service business. You are there to help the artist, whatever they need. You are there to help facilitate that. So you do have to play that role, but at the same time, you have to recognize that that artist is really counting on you and the musician next to you and the musician next to them and other factors that aren't even going on on the stage. Wow, that's that's actually really well said. I mean, you are totally in service of the artist. You're there to serve their needs, and collectively, you all have to think about that. And and as a, and it's just it's it's like any team endeavor, whatever the team endeavor is. There is a there is a goal at the end of the team endeavor. You know what I mean? And so the goal is to do a great presentation for the audience, whatever that is, right? Yeah. And the best thing, and if they're there to see the artist and you're backing up the artist, the best thing you can do is make that artist as comfortable as possible and give the best musical presentation you can give for them because then they shine and the audience loves it and everybody's happy. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. This is this is great stuff. You've been sharing a lot of great nuggets of education throughout our conversation. And if I can get you to impart some wisdom in one more area, what about the importance of songwriting and understanding pay structures? 
Yeah, the fear, especially if you're an artist, it's really, really important. I mean, if you, you know, if you are so inclined to songwrite, oh my gosh, definitely do it. Definitely do it because it puts you in the driver's seat and it lets your um, emotions and your, you know, feelings and thoughts and just the whole presentation you want to give as an artist, it, it lets that be you know, it's your vehicle at that point. Um, songwriting and, and understanding the craft of songwriting is really, really important. Um, it's, it's, you know, how, how do you effectively communicate what it is you're trying to say? What's the best way to do that? You know, and that's understanding the music part and the lyric part and, and just the, the whole construction of songwriting. That, and even if you're not an artist, that's another one of those sidelines, you mm. know, like even as a sideman, I've done so many, I've done so much co-writing. I've even done a lot of co-writing in the studio. Artists will come in with something that's three quarters of the way finished or mm -hmm. needs this part or needs that part. And it's like, okay, well, you know, let's hop in and get this, uh, let's get this tidied up here mm. and, you know, complete this thing. And it, sometimes it's the thing that makes the song where they go, wow, that, that, that was perfect. That's exactly what it needed. Some of that falls in, you know, under the sideman studio musician uh, umbrella, but there's a point where you know where you're songwriting, and I've I definitely been called in as the like okay, we got six songs or eight songs, and you know all of them are in various stages of construction. Can you help us finish them wow. up? Wow. You know I've been called I've been called in to do that stuff too, and it's you know so so it, it just makes you again more valuable. It's a, it's another you know it's another facet, and then of course. Once you do that, it's like, well, what what of this do I actually own, and how am I actually supposed to be compensated, and how you know what's the legal version of all of this? And it's changing a lot right now. I mean, it's it's really interesting. The internet and you know and streaming services have completely revolutionized the uh, the pay structure, and it's it's finally starting to settle down. But it's it's just you know without getting too deep into it, it's just really important to get all your ducks in a row. You know, ha understand publishing, understand mechanicals, understand writers, royalties, and know what PROs are and just all that stuff. Just go out and educate yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I was giving out online destinations where people can find you, I mentioned that you're part of a group called the Daily Driver Band, which actually is one of three bands that you're currently in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Daily Driver. It's fun, man. We're like a uh, we're a little trio that plays locally, uh, bass, drums, and guitar. We all sing, and we just uh, we we have a lot of fun. One of the reasons it started, well, one of the re I, I was brought into the band, but once I was brought into the band, it, it was already existing, and another another guitar player quit anyway. So uh, once, but once I was brought into the band, we kind of restructured the whole thing and thought, well, okay, well, what, you know, what's our common ground here? What do we like? And what do we think is interesting? And we do just, we always do like just mashups of songs <laughs> that you wouldn't think belong together. And we do twisted versions of songs where you go, wait a minute, I know that song, but it doesn't sound like that, wow, you know, that's cool. and just, and it's just really fun. It's fun for us. I'm, I'm hoping it's fun <laughs> for the audience too. Um, but we, you know, we've also managed to, we, you know, we've done a couple of recordings, but the recordings are just really to advertise, to help us get local gigs. And, okay. you know, they're on, they're on YouTube and they're on our Facebook page and, you know, it's, and it's good stuff. We just actually did a, uh, a version of please come home for Christmas. So, you know, that was, uh, that was kind of fun. <laughs> 
Well, typically this is about where I would wrap things up, but I can't have a guest on who has performed three times at the White House and not ask to hear about one or more of those experiences. How cool is that? My gosh, three times. Yeah, yeah, the uh, the White House. That's uh, that's something else. <clears throat> that was one of those things about being with a group like the Oak Ridge Boys. They are so renowned and so well liked and so well received and so just you know internationally acclaimed and loved, right? Um, and one of their biggest fans happens to be the Bush family. Mm. So um, so when uh, when when uh, George Senior was. Uh, um, was in the White House. Uh, this was the Oaks performed twice before I ever performed there with them because they were uh, they performed at the Reagan inaugural and they wow. performed at the Bush inaugural. Wow! And so and so the first time I ever performed at the White House was actually it was the uh, it's kind of something that all the presidents do. You don't really hear about it, but it's like the last official party, quote unquote, mm. you know, on your last on one of your last days in office. So uh, we played in uh, we played in the East Room and it was actually just myself and the keyboard player with the Oak Ridge Boys and the four Oak Ridge Boys. And we were in the East Room, you know, with about uh, about 30 people and. You know, if you can, you know, you can imagine thirty people in the East Room of the White House on the president's last day. It's some important folks, so uh, <laughs> that was that was quite an experience. And then the next two times were for um, were for uh, for W. George W. Bush mm-hmm. when he was in uh, when he was in office, and um, they were. I, it, this is a little bit of a stretch to call it two. It's really one long one, but it's pretty interesting. So there's another kind of interesting event called the Congressional Barbecue that huh. uh, something else, something else you don't hear about. Yeah. But it's on the White House lawn, and it's in July, and it's usually in I think it's in the in, in the last it's in the last year of the uh, um, you know of uh, the term the term mm-hmm. yeah. And it's but it's all the congressmen and senators and all of the families, huh. and it's on the White House lawn, and so we performed, um, we performed for that, and they were smart enough. It's in I think it's in July or August, but but they were smart enough to uh, book a rain date because we needed it. Uh. So we 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 sat up and played and started, and it started raining, and they canceled, and we came back three days later and. Wow. <laughs> And played so technically we played twice. Yeah, <laughs> that's so cool. That's so cool. And and folks, we really are out of time. I, I feel bad not letting Don talk about Mercury, the story of Queen's frontman, which is the show that do go back and listen to my interview with Jonathan Cummings. We talked about that. Listen to the Terry Barber interview. The show was already around back when I interviewed him. Look up Mercury, the story of Queen's frontman online, either on Terry Barber's website or on social media. But uh, it's a great show. I did go and see it myself in Florida in November, and very, very, very good show. I was really, really impressed. Uh, I do need to wrap up here, so we're going to close today with another original composition that Don did for Sweetwater. However, before I play that track, Don, share with the audience about this project. Uh, Yeah, this was another um, guitar line. Um, and it was the same sort of scenario. Okay, so 
we need uh, we need an advertisement for this. We need to make these guitars sound as impressive as possible. And again, back to my concept of it's got to be kind of broad in its acceptance, right? Stylistically, it can't be too, you know, one way or another. It can't be something that's going to alienate people. And then again, you play the guitars and you go, well, what are these guitars saying? And man, those guitars were definitely saying what this piece is. But when you were talking about the differences between playing live versus playing in the studio, there's something that I picked up on, and I'm glad that there's an opening here for me to come back to it, because you mentioned about the client. So in this case, you're doing a song for this guitar. I'm assuming that you're going to tell me, yes, Bruce, after I got the song put together, I did have to show it to the client first before we started putting it out anywhere in Sweetwater or anywhere else. Is that the case? Because if so... How much does that play into someone else is going to, quote unquote, critique this song? It's not 100 percent me doing whatever I want. It does. It, 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 you start on the front end with that. And if you start on the front end with that and you know your parameters, you're pretty much gold. <laughs> and, and that's been the case with me at Sweetwater. I've been really fortunate. They, I, I you know, they're they're just sort of. Uh, um, it's like, yeah, you, you you sort of know the parameters. Just just stay within the lines, and we're good. And it, it's it's worked out every time. And that was the that was the case with this. I knew that I knew that my instincts were right, and thankfully they were. You know, and it, it turned out with a pretty good track. Awesome, awesome, Don. This has been so wonderful. I really enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you so much, and I really, I'm glad that we got to have you on now here. This entertainment. Thank you, Bruce. Your show is awesome, and I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. That will do it, folks, for another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to guitar player, content creator, and educator Don Carr. Do find him on both Facebook and Instagram, and be sure to let him know that you heard him and this music that we're about to play, and from the beginning of the show, too, on Now Hear This Entertainment. You heard him talk about one of the three groups that he's currently in, the Daily Driver Band. They are on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Plus, check out Sweetwater.com and then their various social media channels to see a lot of the work that Don does, the content that he creates for them. Because I feel so strongly about the power of interviews, because I want to help you, because I want to see you succeed, and because I want you to benefit from all my years of experience, not only hosting this show and booking Now Here This Clients into interviews, plus all the time I spent working for a National Hockey League team and in the Olympic movement, dealing with athletes, coaches, executives, and the world's press, I again really recommend you get my online class at interviewtipscourse.com. This will help you if you are in the music business, if you are an author, an actor, an entrepreneur, a spokesperson, a small business owner, someone who gets interviewed or someone who should be getting interviewed or interviewed more so that you get results out of the time you put into being a guest on radio or TV shows or podcasts and the like. Invest in yourself and your career by going to interviewtipscourse.com now. And that will do it for episode 415. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll send you out today with another track from Don Carr. This is the one he just talked about, which he wrote, performed, recorded, and mixed. 